Everybody and welcome back to season four of 3030 and Surviving. It's Tracy. I cannot believe that I am saying that. It feels like just yesterday we got this whole thing started. And now I've taken a little bit of time off. I feel refreshed. I feel recharged. And we're ready to start a brand new chapter of the podcast. If you are just listening for the first time, you can catch new episodes of the show every Monday at 9 a.m. on Apple, iHeart, Spotify, and check out some clips on YouTube. You can follow along with the show and everything going on behind the scenes as well at 3040 Surviving on Instagram. And if you have ideas for guests, topics, you want to make any referrals or recommendations, you can always email me and you can find my email at the Instagram link or just DM me. I've always opened to new ideas. But we are starting off this season with a bang. The guest that I have for you today is a topic we have not covered before, but it's extremely, extremely important, especially for women and especially for girls of our age group. Um, you know that I'm a huge advocate for health and education, and you are going to get a boatload of that today. She is beyond impressive. She's an inspiration to me for so many different reasons why I could talk to her forever. She's a motivational speaker. She is a champion for women's health, and she has quite the story. I'm being very vague because I want her to be the one to share it with you because I know that I will not be able to do it as much justice, but prim- I promise you, you are going to want to listen along, and you are going to be captivated by everything she says. So without further ado, please Please allow me to introduce to you Christina Cocoludo. Hello, Miss. Hi, How Tracy. are you? Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here today with you. <laughs> I am so excited. I truly am. I mean, I just jived with you right away when we were chatting beforehand. Um, so I'm excited just to spend time with you. But also, like I said, this is something we haven't covered before. It's something that's so important. And you are so it's so commendable the way you've been so vulnerable and honest, but also just helpful and inspiring with your personal story. So I really, really appreciate you being able to come on today and and share it with all of our listeners. Yeah, thank you. I always believe that if my story can help somebody else or to have you think about your own health differently, mm-hmm. then I'm sharing for the right reason. Yes, absolutely. So before we get into it all, yeah. I do want to ask you some fun introductory questions. I just asked this from, for everybody. So play along with me a little bit. But first um, is how old are you? I'm 37. Woo-hoo. But I'm chemically 51. <laughs> I'll get into that later. <laughs> that is such a good answer. And what a good little teaser. We're getting we're getting closer, guys. We're getting closer. Keeping them on the edge of their seats. But my personality is one of a 22-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. You never know which side of her you're going to get. You know, it really depends. Where were you born and raised? I actually am from Stoneham, Massachusetts. Fantastic. Yeah, North Shore. Spartans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and we you're just, still on the North Shore now. I am. Yes. I live in Linfield now, but I know we were talking before because you're from the South Shore. Yes. And what a difference between North Shore. and It's like just night and day as far as if you live on one side of Boston versus the other. Truly. It's like a foreign country when we were meeting together. It really is. Like, I really, people don't venture to the other no. side. They no. really, really don't. Like, there are, there are so many beaches that I haven't discovered on the North Shore. Same. And vice versa, right? Cape Cod's like, like what I think of, you know, and it's like, that's it. But it's, you yeah. know, that's going to, anyone from the South Shore listening is like, oh, God. But, you know. <laughs> Although I feel that it's really fun and interesting to discuss discuss a lot of people feel like there's this competition which I think is unnecessary so we're proving that North Shore and South Shore girls can get along okay Okay. absolutely yes (laughs) Uh, what is your relationship status I am married actually to my high school sweetheart that's adorable. When did you start dating? Like what year in high school? Senior year. Ooh. I know. We were best friends for a long time. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And it just was one of those things where he was my best friend. I knew he liked me, but I wasn't really sure I wanted to senior year take that dive in. Yeah. And, you know, 
it actually ended up being the best thing to marry your best friend. So mm, you yeah. can't fight fate, honey. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, zodiac sign. Oh, I am going to tell you my sign and it is going to really, truly light up and make so much sense. Okay. I am a Capricorn through and through. <gasps> Girl. Uh, my birthday's New Year's Eve. So, oh my goodness. Yes. How has that been? Do you enjoy having your birthday on a holiday or do you hate having your birthday on a holiday? So when I was younger, I did not like it because everyone went away like yes. for Christmas break. But then or once I turned 21, it was like so much fun. And then it became mm. like a little too much pressure to make sure everybody else had a great New Year's Eve. Yeah. But now, that I'm like settling down in life I really love it because actually I, I love to celebrate that's like one of my favorite things is finding joy and when so celebrating is like well first of all New Year's Eve is like the number one celebration day in the year and you can love totally. it or hate it but it's something that I look at as just like a really positive day to reflect on the year how much yeah. you've grown and we have like really fun traditions and my whole collective family comes together and we like everybody takes a pad of paper and we all write down our top five funniest memories of the year and our best ones and then we all read them and pull them out of a jar and it's hysterical because some of the things that we forgot like one of us forgot about and we ri- remind each other of it's just it's a really fun day so yeah I love sharing my birthday with everybody that's so special and honestly it brings up a good point too because I think that the older we get I'm always like there's no need to celebrate my birthday anymore it's just another year you know what I mean and so sometimes life gets busy and it's hard you get to have that celebration for your for your special day almost baked in a little bit because you get to celebrate both you know so we always say like do sparkly like I we do sparkly slippers and everyone comes over in pjs and we make see who can make it to midnight and we just have lots of food I mean we're Italian family so we have to have lots of food big spread but you know I think that coming together is so important and actually the older I get you know, I know, like I'm in my 30s, but still, <laughs> I've especially after everything that my life has, how the way my life's unfolded, I've learned that it's actually important to celebrate your birthdays and getting older is a privilege. So that's something that we're going to definitely dive into today. I love that mentality, and you are absolutely yeah. right. And I have one last question for you, just a fun question. Mm. I am curious when you were a child, when you think back to that time of being young, Did you have that one thing that you said, you know, when I grow up, I want to be X, Y, and Z for a career? Um, Or did you not really know? So this is going to sound so funny to you. And well, it might all make sense. But I actually used to watch the Today Show every morning with my mom, like while it was always on in the background. And I used to want to be Katie Couric, like in the worst way. I I used to like sit with a cup of water in a mug and talk like and talk all the time and just be like okay so today I, and I totally had a little broadcast journalism voice thing going on yeah. with the Boston accent as a child but really wanted it I actually did go to school for journalism and then switched my major but mm. initially I, I was really committed to the Katie Couric vibes for a while that's a good aspiration to have though yeah. I like that a lot and it is cool how you followed along with that I was so up and down I changed all the time one year I wanted to be a teacher then a lawyer then a doctor then this then that I never knew it it was always something different. Yeah, yeah. So you really, you were consistent. Oh, I, I, believe me, I, I have no desire to be in journalism, but I actually, if anyone's listening to this with their cup of coffee, I think mm. I fulfilled my goal of like wanting to be with people while they drink coffee. Like that was my thing. I'd be like, oh my God, I just love how every day I listen to Katie Couric, you know, Aww. that feeling of like, but you know, you watch yes. the people as you're growing up. And I used to just think that she was like the sweetest woman and the yes. way she delivered whatever was going on in the world. I'm like, I just, I don't know. There was something about it that was so trusting. Yes. And I just I think that if you look at who you want to become, that's what I was more interested in. And rather than what my career would be. How funny. You really broke it down. Yeah, it was the way that she made people feel not necessarily the job itself, but that comfort that she brought. Yeah, that's what I liked about her. Rest assured, girl, this comes out at 9 a.m. Like we had said. (laughs) So there is absolutely going to be girls listening to you over their morning cup of coffee. They have to DM me afterwards and be like, oh, I'm having my coffee. Okay. <laughs> Goal, yes, life please. goals done. Check, yeah. <laughs> check. And speaking of which, DMing you, I just want to make sure I shout it out now so I don't forget towards mm. the end. But your Instagram handle is just KM Cocoludo, yes. right? Mm-hmm. No spaces, no yeah, you can underscores. Find me just by searching my name, too. Okay, yeah. perfect. Christina with a K. Christina with a K. Oh, yeah, I have to mention that, too. Okay, so. I want to start by talking about your original story. Let's start with you at 
seven years old and kind of what was going on with you with the women in your life then? I'll tell you, it's a, that is even really before that. Us, no, no, no. <laughs> that brings us to the question of like, how much time do we have in this studio oh, yeah. <laughs> today to talk about my relationship to breast cancer and when it all began? Right, right. So when I was seven, no, um, so <laughs> I yeah. actually, yeah. So breast cancer did come into my life when I was seven years old. And when you're seven, you know, you, most seven year olds don't think of things the way that maybe I think of them now. Mm-hmm. But by the time I was 10, my mom and her two sisters had both all three of them had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And so when you hear the word cancer, mm-hmm. I think that the, a different energy takes over. And at seven, I would be lying to you if I told you I knew what that meant. But I can tell you that I knew how to eavesdrop on my mom's phone calls. I would pick up the phone and like this is back obviously with landlines, yeah. pick up the landline, hit the mute button and listen. And I could know exactly what was going on in everyone's health based off of the tone in someone's voice, the way they were speaking to one another. So to kind of really help with the story here, as far as my story with breast cancer is that I am the daughter of a two-time breast cancer survivor, the niece of a woman who died, and the first person in my family to outpace cancer. So I actually, when I, in my family, it's been really kind of just part of growing up in a way that when you come of age, you're most likely going to get breast cancer. My mom was 39 when she was first diagnosed. It was one of those things that if you think about it now, it's it's really young. You know, it's so young. To, and she was in the thick of life raising three girls herself. And so I witnessed that when you're diagnosed, the first thing that comes to mind is like, am I going to live? Like, that's something that was and I and I, as my mom's oldest daughter, feared for her life the entire time. And so cancer, like as a child, the perception of cancer was like, is my mom going to lose her hair? But uh, to be honest, it was also like, what are, where will I go after school if my mom's in treatment? What's going to happen to, you know, you just kind of start worrying and obsessing and having anxiety in a way that's not normal to other kids their age. It's just not developmentally the same as for other kids. I wasn't totally afraid that my mom would die, but I had that in the back of my mind. Like I wouldn't allow myself to go there, but that thought, that feeling, that energy inside of you kind of sticks with you your whole life through. So when my mom was diagnosed, it was first my aunt, then my mom, then my other aunt, then my mom, then my aunt got diagnosed again. And so there was this kind of cyclical thing happening. And so initially my mom had a lumpectomy, which means that they just removed part of the tumor from her breast. So she didn't lose her breast right away. When my aunt was later diagnosed with ovarian cancer, that's when like a massive red flag went up to say like this could be genetic. And at the time, genetics weren't talked about the way they are today. So my family has the BRCA1 mutation. I refer to it as the BRCA mutation. It's a lot easier. So uh, in my family, my mom had the BRCA1 mutation, Mm -hmm. which meant she had an 87% risk of getting breast cancer and she got diagnosed at 39 years old, but she didn't know that she had that risk because my mom actually inherited her gene from her dad. So you can inherit your BRCA mutation from a mother or a father. So any gene you have. And so I'll give like a little science if this kind of like helps everybody kind of break it down. Okay. So a lot of times I think that the, when I tell my story, I usually see a lot of dare in the headlights of like people immediately feeling like, well, oh my gosh, there's breast cancer in my family. How does this apply to me? So I want to kind of cut to the chase and say right away that most breast cancer is not hereditary. So that should kind of alleviate a lot of anxiety if you're listening Mm. on and it's heavy while you're having your morning cup of coffee. (laughs) But truly, and the other thing I will say is that 80% of lumps found in breasts are not cancerous as well. So there's a a big number that we're going to throw out and just a sigh of relief because I know that the numbers I'm throwing out from my circumstances are really heavy. So... When my mom was diagnosed, we knew that there was a likelihood that she could be diagnosed again, but we also knew that she had a higher risk for ovarian cancer as well. Ovarian cancer has not really any reliable screenings till to this day. 
So it was recommended that my mom had a complete hysterectomy, which put her into menopause. I kind of went on with my life knowing that this kind of lived in the background of my family all the time. We were always worrying about somebody's health. Again, I didn't, it wasn't on the forefront. It wasn't an everyday anxiety until I was 20. I was in college and I actually had melanoma. I was diagnosed my junior year. I actually had like a little spot on my leg and actually it was, I found out I had melanoma on July 3rd. Um, oh my goodness. It was crazy. Um, but I found out and it really surprised me. Like so I, I, Because I, you have heard the big C word your whole life essentially, mm, yeah. but you were always thinking breast cancer, potentially ovarian cancer. Melanoma really wasn't on no, the radar no, all that much. No. So shocking nonetheless. And like, let's be clear, this was in like the heyday of gin tan laundry. Oh, heck yeah. So like <laughs> everybody was going tanning. It was like the social thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, my roommates in college, like every Everybody would just like, it's Thursday, let's go tanning and out to lunch afterwards. And so I absolutely was guilty of that. Highly regret it. But like, (laughs) it was part of just part of the fabric of being in college at that time. So I ended up um, really kind of having alarm bells go off for all my doctors being like, hold on, wait a minute, this is a little strange to have melanoma because it's the deadliest form of skin cancer. We can kind of talk about um, what to do. And how to talk to your friends and the best way you can support someone because everybody knows someone who's been impacted by breast cancer. And the scary thing is, is that one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer and every woman's at risk for breast cancer simply by having breasts. And like the average, I think the average percentage for breast cancer for a woman to be diagnosed is that you have, I think it's it's a 12% risk in your lifetime. Wow. So I realized that if I were, when I was 25, I had the conversation with my um, OBGYN. I went to the gynecologist and I was talking to my doctor about forms of birth control and she wanted to know what my family health history was like. And I was like, oh, geez, she's like, well, I see the melanoma. But and so then we whipped out the chart and I'm describing, you know, this person had cancer, that person had breast cancer and this. And so she just looked at me and she was like, you know, you should really get tested for the the BRCA mutation. And I just looked at her and I was like, oh. I knew this day would come, but uh, I didn't want it to. <laughs> you know, and so I was like, okay, well, like, yeah. what's it entail? And so at the time, I do not recommend this. And I love sharing this part of my story because it really tells you what not to do. I do not recommend having your OBGYN or somebody who is just um, a regular doctor apply or go apply, have the blood test drawn for you and run the test and send it to the lab. I absolutely am a massive advocate for genetic counseling. You need to have so, genetic counseling before you take a, a test. Interesting. because So what you're saying is not even just generalist versus specialist. You're saying you would really want to prepare yourself and educate yourself on what the genetic testing part is really going to look like before you even go ahead 100%. and subject yourself to so it. So I was really naive, right? Even mm-hmm. though and you might think like looking back, like, wow, you had this high risk or then you knew that your mom had breast cancer and you knew that this mutation was even in your family and you still didn't get genetic counseling or you just like, I, I absolutely, I'll tell you, I was wondering which birth control to take and if I should, if I was doing an oral contraceptive or not, like which, and that's where my mind was at. And, you know, a normal 20 something years old at 25. Yeah. And so I, as I was going through all of my options and looking at it, I really wasn't thinking like now I'm going to step into my cancer journey. And it's, I, it's not a journey. It's like journey. You think you're going on vacation. This is anything, but, but it is something that you evolve from and it is a massive experience. And this has been a massive learning curve for me. So I would say absolutely need to have genetic counseling because when you're being educated by a doctor to be able to tell you like, okay, so this is what we're testing you for, or here's a panel of genetic mutations that we're testing for. And here's what happens if you test positive. And while that appointment's overwhelming to find out if you test positive, what's even more overwhelming is the backtrack where if you do test positive and you're finding out this information, and then all of a sudden now you have to like WebMD your whole life and have anxiety and truly figure out like, okay, now what? Now what? Now what am I supposed to do? So that feeling of like, because once I found out I was BRCA positive, the gynecologist I'll never forget sat across from me and she was like I'm 25 years old now so at 25 she was like um so we highly recommend that the only way you can reduce your risk is to have a double mastectomy 
or you could take tamoxifen, which will put you into chemical menopause. And I'm just looking at her. I'm like, I'm 25. Are you kidding me? And I literally can't, you'd laugh. I, I sat there and she also said that, or you can pursue surveillance and have a mammogram and an MRI and rotate them. And at the time it was every six months. So every six months, a mammogram and a breast MRI. So I remember sitting there looking at her and I like grabbed my boobs and I was like, I literally just got these. And she looked at me and I was like, I was a late bloomer. And I like had this like whole breakdown yeah. while I was. And she's like, lady, you're kind of missing the point. Yeah. And I was like, ah. and so, but I'm truly looking at her and I'm like, yeah, ah, I, I, I literally just got breasts and now the what? And so I thought she was a total quack. Like I'm just looking at her like, oh God, no way. I'm not removing my breasts. And I had like this like kind of, and I'm, I want to normalize like this anger rebellion phase. Like I'm not doing that. Like that is insane that I would have to remove my breasts. Like I haven't even used them what they're for yet. Like yeah. I had all of these feelings and I really wasn't thinking about the alternative at all because I was just a 25 year old. You yes. Know? The perspective that I have now that I wish the medical community took a deeper look at the social emotion piece mm -hmm. when we're having these conversations. If there was some sort of follow-up appointment to talk about your plan in place of how you're going to do it according to a chronological timeline mm -hmm. or an if-then scenario, because that's what actually for genetic counseling was laid out for me. And that was night and day to just kind of like laying out the doomsday scenarios yes. versus somebody really listening to like, okay, who is Christina? And at the time it was my maiden name, Bramante. But <laughs> who is Christina Bramante? What are her goals yeah. in the next like two years, three years, five years, 10 years, because who I was at 25 was very different to who I am today at 37. Mm -hmm. So again, and so much of my life has unfolded in that frame of time, time frame. So it's just been like, okay, let's see who I am then is very different from who I am now. But again, that information is so important to know the whole way through. But when your doctor looks at you like a human being and not a number and they mm. say like, okay, just like you said to me when we first sat down, like, tell me, like, are you, what's your like marital status? What are, yeah. you know, what, I, I, when you kind of get to see a little bit of a blueprint of who somebody is and what they're going through, I think that if you're told in a way that is meant to empower you, you'll find it much easier to take action with your health. Mm -hmm. So I, I walked the hard road, <laughs> but I, it was something that I feel like it was meant to happen to me that way. Because again, I am a Capricorn. I am mm. stubborn as hell. You're, I you're am a planner. I'm determined. I'm stubborn. And I, it's like always on my time. Mm -hmm. And so with that said, I will say that as soon as I was diagnosed with a BRCA mutation, I came home from that appointment and my boyfriend was my high school boyfriend. I came home from uh, that appointment and I was like, when are we getting engaged? I, it's been eight. <laughs> Eight years. Like, yeah, I, you're like, like chop, let's chop. go. I need to like move forward with my life. I need to now have a baby. And mm -hmm. they were telling me that my first baby should be born by 30. Like talk about pressure. Ooh. And then that will reduce your risk. Like they threw all of these things at me. I just sat there taking like, if you'd like to breastfeed, then if you, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that I literally just got breasts. And now we're talking about <laughs> removing them. And now we're talking about like, you know, like chemical menopause and mammograms. Yeah. And so there's, so there's nothing stranger than and being a 20 something going to get a mammogram because you walk in that waiting room and you're an outlier. So immediately oh, I yeah. went for my first mammogram and I remember like I went in and I sat down and looking around the room and I'm like, oh my God, I am. Everybody's looking at me too because they're like, what's this young girl doing in here? You know, so and trying to tell your boss, like, I'm going for a mammogram. You're like, sorry, I can't be in, you know, I'm going to be out for a few hours this morning. And like, or like, I'm going for, like, it's just like, so yeah. trying to explain like, hey, I have to do this every six months. So this is just kind of part of my life. I am, mm -hmm. you know, it's just if one of those things where I used to feel like I had to over explain everything because I actually was pre-Angelina Jolie is how I refer to it because Angelina yeah. Jolie, we share the same mutation. <laughs> so. Yeah, I actually, I want to do pause there for just one yeah. second before we kind of move on to the next, you know, couple of years and in, in the mm -hmm. next part of the story. But I want to back it up because I know that we are focusing on the BRCA mutation and, you know, breast cancer, ovarian cancer and your experience. But part of that is the melanoma. And I feel like we kind of glossed over that real do. quick, girl. I do we glossed over it real quick. So I, I know you found a little spot on your leg but mm -hmm. I it, because it is such a 
deadly form of cancer and a really severe form of cancer and it's really you know dangerous and scary it is crazy how it can often be so overlooked i have heard horror stories of people being like i thought it was a freckle i thought it was a mole right it's so unassuming and so i want to know for you Given that, especially because your focus was on different types of cancer, given your family medical history, did you just happen to see a dermatologist? Did someone just take a look at it? Were you experiencing other Mm -hmm. symptoms? What got you to say, okay, I should probably get this looked at? What happened was I had a raised bump, like a raised freckle it looked like. And it it just all of a sudden I was shaving and it bled. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And then it scabbed. And then it turned a dark color after it's scabbing. I was like, I just don't like the way it looks. And initially I just thought it was from shaving. Like I I didn't. So, and then I was like, I just don't like the way it looks. So I'm going to go get it taken off. And I went to a plastic surgeon and I thought that it was going to be just like a teeny little, like it was initially a very small scar. And then he called me back right before the 4th of July. It was July 3rd and his office was about to close. And he was like, hey, I just want to let you know. Um, <laughs> it was, again, one of those moments yeah. where it was very casual. I it was over. The, I'm driving. I was driving the car and I was actually like going to pick up like flair for the 4th of July, <laughs> driving, getting ready to be with my family to do something fun. So I'm driving. And he's like, I just want to let you know that um, I sent your um Yours, I think he called it like whatever. I, Biopsy in or something? Like, he called it like your mole or whatever he did. But oh. he sent it to the lab and it, the it came back as positive for melanoma. And I think I was just like, oh, oh. How wow. insane. Okay. I say this in the most loving way, but truly, and I'm not joking either. Like sometimes our vanity, you know, can be oh, yeah. such a godsend. Like, you know, I mean, if that didn't bug you, who knows if and when you would have ever gotten it looked at, right? Absolutely. It just, it, those little things sometimes can be what gets us to find the answers that we need or to take care of something that we probably otherwise yeah. wouldn't have. Yeah, um, and I respect you so much for admitting that and being truthful about it. Just like even with, the breasts, like I just got these. Why are they like those are really real feelings that oh, we absolutely. have as women, right? And that people are sometimes ashamed to say because I don't want to look a certain way when we're talking about something very serious. But those are the things that make us human, and those are real thoughts. And it's absolutely. okay to feel all the the spectrum of our emotions and our feelings. So thank you oh, for being that I, way. I like to keep it real, and the only reason <laughs> why is because like it's it's not like I'm this professional person that right. is this poster child for cancer, and I have zero. I'm not a robot, you know, like when you're young and you're going through it, like, so this was one of the challenging pieces, right? When you're young going through an oncology unit in general, people kind of look at you a little bit differently because you are an outlier. Mm -hmm. But also there's this like tone that changes very quickly about your goals when it comes to many people are there fighting for their life. And so that was something that I had to like really realize really quickly, like, wow, I have to let go what my scar looks like, not care about what it's like, because ultimately this could have killed me. And so Mm -hmm. if I left it alone or it could have spread or and there are other people where they're not as fortunate. So you start to have sobering realities as you go through to not care. Like I'm loaded with scars now and every single one of them are something I celebrate and my whole body, something I'm capable of now having more self-love for. But I feel like that's something, you know, not even in my and because I have three kids. So your body changes so much every time with mm-hmm. pregnancy too. You just start to learn to love yourself the older you get because I, I joke and say that it's because it's not going to get any better. So I'm like, oh, that's good as it's going to get now. So, <laughs> oh my goodness, that's funny. <laughs> you know, but like, yeah, but it's true. We talk about it on the show a lot, imposter syndrome. And it's funny how it can really be applicable in so many different ways. A lot of times it ends up coming through with career. Um, but even for you in the situation with your health, it's almost like, like I, everyone's judging me. I shouldn't be here. They have bigger fish to fry than I do, right? They are in more vulnerable positions with their health. Why am I in the oncology unit? But your experience and your health is just as valid and important as anybody else. And I guarantee that any of those women who were in there, any of those people, you know, men too for oncology, like they they just want you to be okay. No one's looking at you like, why is this young girl here? No, you know? for sure. Real quick though, mm. I want to just, because you pointed this out to me and honestly, it was something that I didn't know. Sure. I think we hear about the BRCA gene all the time. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm. We all have the gene. 
It's a matter of whether or not you have a mutation that puts you at risk for having cancer. Is that correct? Yes. So everybody is born with a BRCA gene. You have a BRCA gene. I have a BRCA (laughs) gene. But my gene is broken. So what that means is that as my cells divide every single day and I need my genes to repair my cells with a broken gene, they're likely to not be able to repair the same way. They don't repair the same way. So a tumor is likely to develop over time. Mm. And that's why the risk for breast, and it is likely to develop in your breast and or ovaries if you were to test positive. So because that's why it's like the BR stands for breast, it's just breast cancer. So they found that there's an 87% risk for breast cancer. And then my risk is somewhere between 60 to 40% for ovarian cancer as well. And so in my family, I was the first to get diagnosed with the BRCA mutation. And so at 25, I was really laying on the pressure on my husband to say, hey, when are we having, like, when are we getting married? We need to have babies before 30. We need to do this whole thing. And, you know, he was really great about it. And he did propose to me that year. We got married the following year. And he's a good listener. He really, (laughs) um, that's really funny that that comes up because if he hears this, he's going to be like, wow, Tracy gets it. (laughs) Uh, He's going to be like, you hear that, honey? I'm a good listener. (laughs) Um, But so I, (laughs) he's going to die. So I felt like, so he did propose. We got married. We uh, had a baby at 27. And then, you know, so I did breastfeed my first child. And that in itself, like, that's a whole other world. Mm. So my daughter was about 15 months old. I was in the shower. She's taking a nap. And I found a lump in my breast. And when that happened, that was like the catalyst. That moment happened for me so hard. It was, I did not see it that way for the longest time, but my God, am I so grateful for that lump. I'm so grateful for that lump. That lump taught me so many lessons in life. So I had known that when you find a lump, if that lump feels like a frozen pea, it's bigger than the top of an eraser and it persists for more than two weeks, you need to go see a doctor. I think like one of the most important things too, and I'll take a little time out. It is so important to know your own normal breast health. Mm. So like this is something that you can put a breast health reminder in your phone, set it up to like once a month, maybe get actually, I, I personally think you should do it more than once a month to kind of, you can have make it part of foreplay and have your partner do it. It's yeah. something that you really should consider to really know what your normal's like, depending on your cycle, and just know that because we all have some women have lumps and all and dense breasts and lumps and bumps right. all over. So just to know what your normal looks like, right? Is you need a baseline. So you need a baseline because otherwise, that would be so anxiety provoking to all of a sudden find out of nowhere. And, you know, who knows, maybe you just have dense breasts and there's always been something like that. But if you don't know what your, what your baseline is, there's no way to say, okay, there's been a change that I should get looked at. But let me tell you, when you're feeling around and you find a lump, it is 100% normal to go into panic mode. Oh, yes. 100%. So like I, all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, it's feels like a frozen pea. It's large enough. It's, and I wasn't not going to wait the two weeks. There's no way I Mm -hmm. immediately, I got out of the shower, called my doctor, called my husband, cried out loud. And I said, oh my God, there was an 87% chance that this could be cancer. All along thought that that suggestion for a mastectomy was so ridiculous. Like that's all I thought. I I had this like, oh, really? That's the only way I can reduce my risk. Like, I'll be honest. It was one of, it was not an easy choice. It was not something that I was like, oh yeah, sign me up. Let me go. No, no. But most a lot of people just assume because you can easily feel that like, well, if you know that that's your risk, like, yeah, I would lose my breasts in a heartbeat. I've heard that a zillion times. And so I will say like, it was a massive choice. So I was 29 getting the mammogram and you can see the imaging and I can see like it just was the way that the usually you can't but it was the way the room was set up and I can see I can see that there's a mass Mm -hmm. and that feeling was like oh geez no way I I oh boy and I immediately the spiraling begins beyond like already planned my funeral in that moment I'm being very real so um and I'm not exaggerating when I say like I really was sitting there being like oh my god oh my I know. I feel like I hope that people are able to follow along because you literally go back and forth from humor to seriousness. And like, I have gotten to know you and I understand when you're joking, when you're not, oh, but you really don't. do. You, you, you pivot back and forth real quick. Oh, you're yeah. like, oh, 
like, are you trying to make pizza? And yeah. I was planning my funeral and I'm like, okay, she's not kidding when she says that part, you oh, know? Yeah, no, I definitely was. So like when I say I'm, I, but that's actually, so I'm so glad you said that because that's what it's like to have the BRCA mutation yeah. because you are like trying to be 20 something and 30 yes. something. And then all of a sudden you're really being serious and you're talking about your mortality right. and then you're living with this grave kind of circumstance, but also feeling very much like, okay, I need to be empowered. I need to be in charge. I need to be all the things yeah. to make sure that I can advocate for myself. So if you're at home and unable to hear this and like in the sincerity of my voice is that like, this is a massive deepening decision and, and like groundbreaking time. But yeah, I use humor all of the time mm-hmm. to kind of get myself through those things. So then from there, I had a MRI the same day. And after the MRI, it was an emergency MRI, emergency. And immediately the radiologist came in and she was like, listen, um, I'm going to get a breast surgeon. She'll be in really shortly. And what they're going to do, and I froze because, again, we're go- we're moving very quickly now. This is all one day. Like, yeah, I'm in the shower, you know, and now I'm here. And she said, what we're going to do is insert a needle into this mass and put, and it looked like, like a tiny miniature staple. Like when it's stapled together, it's a clip. And the clip's going to go into this mass and we'll be able to track it now for your future mammograms. If it is cancer, we'll know where the cancer is. If it's not, we'll know that this is no lo- this mass is not cancerous. So this clip will stay with you. I'm not really a religious person, but I remember looking up at the ceiling, just like the ceilings here and seeing like a cross and just like having my eyes go to the ceiling and just think like something greater than me has to be with me in this moment. And so I can't believe when I told the story, I told the whole thing wrong, Tracy. What do you mean? You missed out the part about me losing the best person in my life. So so my aunt had succumbed to ovarian cancer actually right before my melanoma diagnosis. So I'll rewind. So that anxiety of that knowing how grave these circumstances are, and I, to say, I have to say this, my aunt was my person, not just like, oh, my aunt, you know, she was somebody who she filled my cup. She knew how to really read me. She knew how to show up for me in life. She knew like just really, truly you think of like your top people. I lost mine when I was 19. And then when I was diagnosed with a deadly form of cancer, all I wanted to do was talk to the person that obviously had been impacted by cancer a lot in her life. And so I kept thinking, I just want my aunt right now. I just wish my aunt was here to kind of guide me through this and just tell me I'm going to be okay. She's obviously went through this process. She and my mom did too, but my mom, I was so afraid of talking about this with my mom. I didn't want to give my mom anxiety because she had this anxiousness that she gave this to me. So we didn't really want to like, I didn't want to make my mom upset. And I kind of kept this close to the chest initially. And so I made up my mind during that time in the event I had breast cancer. I had no control over the protocol or what would come next. And I just knew that I would have the way I thought of it was if I have breast cancer, we are going to just take it as it comes and be a team and face this as a team. Mm. If I don't have breast cancer, either way, I'm removing my breasts because if I don't have breast cancer, I'm ready. And my husband was like, "Okay," I was like, I want to do this before I'm done having children. I never, ever, ever, I don't want to go another six months and have the feeling that I have right now with me ever, ever, ever again. I just can't live with this anxiety of like feeling like I've known my risk. And now if there's one way to reduce my risk, I want to take that. I need to reduce my risk now. I'm ready. And so I did find out that the tumor was benign. It was a tumor, but it was a benign tumor. I got real lucky. When I heard that news, I exhaled, but not really. Like I was like, okay, I, I have roads still in front of me here. Cause I know now I'm, this isn't like when somebody else just finds out that they have a benign tumor. This is somebody who there's an 87% chance someday I'm going to have to go and find out that you actually do have breast cancer. I feel like when breast cancer came into my life when I was seven years old, it was Mm -hmm. for a reason because I realized that I didn't want my daughter living the way that I did. I didn't want her childhood to have that living in the background of her worrying for my health. Mm. So that also was something to really help me propel the decision making process because I was like, you know what? She's at that time when I found the lump, she was 15 months old. I'm like, okay, now she's not really going to remember if I do this. Like she's you're not going to remember this. She's not going to have this fear anymore. 
I immediately did what we all do. And I Googled everything that I needed to do. I'm like, I'm high risk for breast cancer, doesn't have breast cancer. Like, what do I do next? Like, who do I contact? How do I get support? But lovely Google took me to an organization called Bright Pink. I saw that they had this program called a Pink Pal program, and it was a one-to-one mentorship program. And so I called and I spoke to this woman, had an intake form, realized that I wasn't, you know, receiving medical advice or, Mm. and that's important to say today, like I'm not giving anybody medical advice. And this has just been, I am an expert of my own experience and please like any opinion of mine or my story, you have to take it with a grain of salt and you need to talk to your own doctor when it comes to your own experience. Mm. Um, But I will say it was something that changed my life, hearing somebody else tell their story to me and have that mentorship for that one-to-one someone being vulnerable with me that really put me on the path to have the courage to go a little bit deeper with myself. So I I talked to a woman on the phone. I've actually still never met this person face-to-face. Her name's Julia. She lives in Chicago. And at the time, she also had one child. She was, I think she's two years older than me, but it was like this role model of somebody who just had her mastectomy and she was thriving. And all I wanted to know was that I could rise with whatever I had going on and still show up and still be Christina. I want to just feel like I can move on with my life. I'm ready. And so Julia talked to me about all of the things that I was wanting to, like Google's not going to tell you. You know, there's all this loss. And I was just thinking like, is this going to ruin some parts of my intimate life? Like, am I going to think about this? What about when I'm in the shower? When I look at myself in the shower, am I going to be accepting of myself? I, I Again, I had this victimhood mindset of like, this is happening to me and I don't want this to happen to me. And this, it was something that I had to really transform and learn how to really accept myself. And it's a process and it's something that you wish you could flip the switch. And when you first have surgery, you want to, like you so badly want to, but you have to experience a lot of firsts afterwards to say like, you know, what's it like when you buy your first bra or you go to a wedding and you're buying a dress for the first time you put on a bathing suit and you're wondering if your scars are popping out or if you are wearing a bikini and can you feel like everyone thinks that your boobs look a little different compared to everybody else's. It was just a really emotional time and I was so fortunate that my partner was like, I don't love you for your breasts. I love you for you and I want to see you around for a really long time. So I'm I'm with you no matter what. And I was so lucky that he was so mature and so embracing and so loving throughout the whole process. And, you know, together we've been tested many times in life and we, I think, that when you have a true partnership, it means everything. And I know so many young girls that do this and experience this when they're not married, when they're still right. in a dating game and they're, they have to go about it very differently and talk to, and introduce themselves to partners and say like, Hey, I just want to let you know. And so I feel like, wow, that's that's a different loophole to go through. But in my experience, my husband, was he was so on board because he just understood what was at stake and became really, uh, really integral part of the mission to just make sure that um, I'm going to outlive him. <laughs> More brownie points for the, for the hubby. You he know? Is, he's doing well. He's, he's acing the test. So my circumstance was like, um, back to my Capricorn, like <laughs> I have to do this. I have to do this on this timeline. I want to do it during this time of year. I want to do it. And like I had the, the checklist of what my requirements were for myself, what was my best case scenario. And I kind of proceeded that way. Like, okay, where do we, we where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. So my initially, my daughter was 15 months old when I started the process. But then I got a little email and it was like, hey, run for Team Bright Pink. Run the Chicago Marathon. And I was like, oh, this is meant for me. I'm not going to lie. I have like a couple glasses of wine. <laughs> call, I'm gonna call my sister up and I'm like, genius idea. We're going to, I was like, I'm going to run my first marathon. I all of a sudden was felt really called to this. And I said, I, if I can run a marathon, I can confidently walk into an operating room. And so my sister was like, oh shit, I got to pour wine now. And I was like, why? She's like, because I'm not, you're not doing it alone. I'm going to run with you. And so she started out on this journey with me. We and a bunch of friends also signed up for a bright team, bright pink. We raised a ton of money. We ran the Chicago marathon. And a few months later, I turned 30. And four days after my 30th birthday, I confidently walked in to have my mastectomy. And what I will say is that that process for me gave me so much freedom. It was like the first time in my life I felt like, oh, my God, I 
don't have to carry the weight of that number 87 anymore and don't have an 87% risk. I had my surgery. Surgery went really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, reconstruction means that you have uh, like a time period I had expanders put in. They went behind my pectoral muscles. And so mm-hmm. every week or two weeks, I would go in for a fill, which meant that saline was injected into my expanders and my chest wall cavity was expanded. And it essentially just like felt like elephants coming in on my chest. But it was really funny because for the first time, I mean, I told you I was part of the itty bitty titty committee. And for the first time in my life, I'm looking down and like, you just watch your boobs inflate. Like my chest was <laughs> getting bigger and bigger, like watching someone literally yeah. injected in. And my plastic surgeon was belly laughing in bright red because I, I all of a sudden burst out. I was like, where was this in middle school? <laughs> and he was like, oh my God, nobody's ever said that before. And I'm like, I know most people are crying during this process, but I was like, yeah. Yeah, you're like, this is cool. Yeah. And that's not to like take away because it is, it's a, it's a brutal experience. Mm. It's not an easy experience. But for me, kind of laughing through it and, and, and just making sure that I still felt connected back to myself along the way was so important. And not everybody feels that way. Like some people need to cry. Some people need to go in and like feel every single thing that they're going through. But for me, I knew that this was going to give me freedom. And so I kept taking that on. It's like, this is my chance to be free. So I'm going to feel free and enjoy this. Letting go of fear is something that I feel like it taught me so much about myself and how to lean into myself differently and how to just go after more of what I want in life differently. So I I think that like these lessons, they all happen for me in such a beautiful way that I like, yeah, they're a tough way to find out, but it's, it's really incredible. And I, I kept like this really positive attitude that everything was like divinely happening for me. And I was going to still have everything that I wanted to have happen in my life would still happen the way that I needed it to. Mm -hmm. So then, um, I thought our family was complete at that point. And um, right after that, my sister, Vanessa, who is seven years younger than me, she decided that it was her time to get tested. And she, like me, had a 50-50% chance of getting breast uh, the breast mutation. And so the BRCA1. And when she tested, she tested positive. And right away, we were like, oh, fuck, another person in our family. You know, it's just like it never ends. The negativity yeah. comes in and you're reliving it all over again. And so... It, it made us really start to question, like, is it really 50-50, you know? Um, we decided that we would keep going with wanting to feel empowered. So we decided that, well, we ran the Chicago Marathon together. Why don't we run the New York Marathon? This was like such a bad choice for me at this time. It, it, it was so funny because running when you have two kids is like, you, we were raising money for Bright Pink again, but like, you know, I'd run these miles, come back and like, be a mom right away. And it was just a lot on the body, a lot of like going through it. Um, we were calling it my tour de foobs with my fake boobs. Like I want to go back and feel empowered and I want to like be better than ever. And like, yeah, I call them my foobs all the time. Um, because they're not really like your implants are different afterwards, you know, (laughs) right. right. "Mm, I can't be like, you know, my like new exciting big breasts because they're not (laughs) anyways. I digress. We (laughs) ran the New York marathon together and it was this like really beautiful experience. And then my younger sister, Stephanie was like, you know what? I'm going to get tested. Mm -hmm. And she proved that it is 50, 50. She tested negative. And that was something that was really challenging for her actually, because when you find out you're negative, your risk goes back to general population. You're no longer really considered high risk or monitored in a way that you would be. But she had this survivor's guilt. Like, why me? Why am I not the one like to have to, why do my sisters have to go through this? And I don't. And we were so grateful that she didn't have this. Now my daughter's nine. I have a a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old. And now we're able, we're starting to have these conversations a little bit deeper. And she actually said to me, so um, she recently asked me, when will I get tested? And so I, I thought that this conversation would make me cry or like feel afterwards, you know, of course, or feel, but I was so impressed with how she's seen my experience and feels empowered by the way that not only I've handled it, but how she sees her aunt going through this surgery and she sees it and it's not a scary thing. It's like, oh, wow, I have really strong women in my life conversation that we've had. And so like when I, I always viewed this time as a time where it would probably make me 
crack. Telling your child that they too are going to live with this risk or they've kind of witnessed it. I don't want it to then take the forefront. So how I told her was, I was like, well, listen, there is an appropriate time for everything. Right. And right now there's nothing that if you were to get tested, there's nothing that you could do about it anyway. So we don't need to worry about it. And when you're old enough to worry about it, we will handle it as a family and you'll have all the support you need and all the tools. But the good thing too is you just watched mom do something really cool. And that's, I just ran the Boston marathon for Dana Farber and I raised a ton of money with my family because we had so many people rally around us and know the importance of research. Mm. And so my daughter saw my drive to raise funds and how it was so personal and how I want to make sure that time technology and research advances for the next generation. So, you know, I have a dream that maybe one day my daughter will just have to have a vaccine, you know, and maybe that's controversial for some, but for me, that would be wonderful. I would love to see that my daughter didn't have to have a breast amputation. This past year, I decided that I would have a complete hysterectomy. A hysterectomy means that you remove your uterus. A complete hysterectomy is when you remove your uterus, your um, fallopian tubes, your ovaries, and your cervix. So I initially went into my consultation to say, I'm ready. I want to have my fallopian tubes removed. So she's like, well, I don't actually recommend you removing your fallopian tubes. I think you should have a complete hysterectomy. As she kind of talked me in, not into having surgery, but I slowly started to see, I'm going to just kick the can down the road to do this when ultimately I don't want to continuously have surgeries. If I do this and start this journey now, I am free now. And that's really what I want. So I chose to schedule a complete hysterectomy. And... I knew that that would immediately propel me into menopause. And so most of your listeners in their 30s have no idea what they're in for when it comes to menopause. Oh, man. But see, this isn't a scary thing. It's something that we need to talk about. So menopause happens to all women. Mm-hmm. And it's when it's basically when you stop getting your period. And women naturally, typically, there's all different types of menopause, but you can go into chemical menopause. That's when a drug makes you have menopause. Then there's surgical menopause, which is what I'm going through. And then there's just like natural menopause. You will really relate to this, though. We are trained Mm -hmm. from when we are real young to not talk about our period, Mm -hmm. to not talk about symptoms of our periods, to not talk about pregnancy, to not talk about like the things that we're going through or the timing of all of these, these are kind of taboo topics that nobody wants to hear about. But the reality is, is that like menopause, it's known as the change where you are (laughs) changing and we don't want to face the aging reality. So as I'm like, well, wait a minute. So this is why I initially started out the episode saying I'm chemically 51. But the reality is, is so like my body chemically is not producing estrogen anymore. I do not have ovaries. And so I have, I wear um, an HR, I have HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy. I wear a patch to receive my estrogen. And I am so grateful for that because otherwise I would have severe insomnia. I started out right away. Like the minute I woke up from surgery, it was like hot flashes, insomnia, didn't sleep for days. I'm like, I have three small kids. How am I supposed to survive like this? So there's this like massive trade-off, no cancer equals like you have to live like this. So it wasn't this just like, Oh, just have surgery. It was a really big sacrifice. So right before my surgery, my sister called me up and was like, listen, I just want you to know that I'm scheduling my mastectomy and here's the deal. I'm planning (laughs) on running Boston because we had always said we were going to run the Abbott marathon, like get the world majors done. So that's six marathons. That's Chicago, New York, Boston, London, Berlin, and Tokyo. So we had done Chicago and New York. And I always had the dream of getting the Abbott in Boston. So I told my sister, like, we'll finish it in Boston. That's when we're going to do it. We're going to go get the uh, international ones out of the way, come home and get the big medal in Boston. She said, I'm just going to apply to whatever charity I can get into. Like, I really want to just get a number. It's my goal. I said, Mm -hmm. okay, here's what we'll say. I I said to her, I want to run for Dana-Farber. It's meaningful for me. When you run Boston, you have to raise a ton of money. And like it was a week before my actual surgical date that we found out we got in and I uh, I had this like, oh, shit feeling <laughs> of like, I really am running Boston because it was a lifelong dream of mine to do. We started out on this journey of like, wow, we can run do we can do hard things. Yeah. Right. But 
running teaches you, even if you're not a runner, it teaches you how to like really be with yourself and your self-talk and the way that you talk to yourself. It was something that it was like very therapeutic. I do not enjoy like the act of running and running for a really long time is not, but like when I find myself and connect back to that version of myself that I definitely lost along the way, especially in motherhood, was so wonderful to get that piece of me back when we as we were running. That runner's high is a real thing. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if you're not like really yeah. into running, because I I don't I still even though I've run three mar- I've ran three marathons I still don't think of myself as a runner. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, you're very goal oriented when it comes to your running. It's yeah. not recreational. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. So I have my surgery. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna still do it. I have to do it. I'm doing it whether it kills me. I'm crossing that freaking finish line. Dana Farber not only saved my life, but the research that's done at Dana Farber is so promising. So the money that we raised is for the Claudia Adams Bar Research Program. And this is where all of cancer research takes place, essentially. Like all of the the where risks are taken in order to fund new drugs, new tests. So the advancements that come out of this program and a hundred percent of what we raised went to that. It just felt like what a full circle moment to say I'm giving back to the very thing that saved my life. Yeah. It's so pivotal. And it's this feeling of doing something for yourself, for your, for your mother and for your aunt who you lost. And also for your daughter, it's, it's just a pivotal, pivotal moment for so many different reasons for you. Yeah. It's really special. And I feel like it will likely be one of those moments in your life. That's very hard to top. So I actually had a patient partner. They, uh, when you run for DFMC, you have the opportunity, if you'd like to, to make a deeper connection with somebody going through pediatric cancer. Mm-hmm. My patient partner, her name's Zoe, and she is such a beautiful little ray of sunshine. And Zoe taught me a lot. Like it was one of those things when I met her, her mom, her sister, her dad, and I saw what this family's really going through. And she's she's six, almost seven, or she's officially seven. And that's the age I was when cancer came into my life and it didn't come nearly at the same capacity. And I know that if I can make strides in my life, she's going to change the world. She has this like big, bright attitude, but Zoe's feel good days are typically on Monday. And this little girl waited in the rain, bald, going through chemo with her family at mile 17 to make sure that I was running it and doing strong, like, okay with my knee. And she was like, I just kept saying, I just got to get to Zoe. I don't care if I drop out after I see Zoe, just Zoe needs to see me running this race. I need to do this for Zoe. And she and I, we built such a special connection. She actually sat. So um, the night before the marathon, Dana Farber asked me to be their keynote speaker to kind of address everybody to tell my story and to really connect why research matters. And so I started this really exciting realization, actually, that when you tell your story, you have the ability to not only have people see that they too can take action with their health and think about their own health slightly differently. And we don't have to have the same story, but I realized that when I tell my story, sometimes it hits people differently because it makes them think. And it wasn't something that I ever thought of. I never realized that my story could do that. But when Zoe was listening to my story, Zoe afterwards came up to me and she was like, Christina, can you promise me something? I was like, anything, you name it. (laughs) And she's like, someday, will you run the Boston Marathon with me? And I was like, Oh yeah, you're going to crush it. Let's go. And I think the title of my speech was called Someday. And it was about how, because I always had the dream. The dream was someday that we all will have that feeling that we can go after what we want. We whisper to ourselves all the time, someday. Someday I'm going to go after whatever it is that I want to get. Maybe it's the new job. Maybe it's the boyfriend. Someday I'm going to have the family that I want. Someday we tell ourselves someday all the time. But when cancer comes into your life, you realize that life's not a dress rehearsal and you can make someday now, like you can, you have to, but someday, someday I know that the people in that room are going to fight toward finding a cure and they're going to make advancements. And someday we're going to realize that we were all a part of that. And that was something that was wild. And when Zoe ever took those words, looked at me and said, someday, will you run this with me? It's like, oh my God. Yeah, girl, anything, you name it, because 
you know, Tracy, you never think that cancer is going to impact you or your family Mm -hmm. until it does. And you don't want it to. And I don't wish that upon anybody. And I never want somebody to join this shittiest club, but it (laughs) it does have the best members. And you just, all you want is a sense of normalcy and finding your community. And so I will say, I hope that if anyone who's listening needs community, they know it's out there. They know that now with with technology, we can connect more than ever. And it's the most beautiful thing about Instagram because you can connect. You can have your words make an impact on somebody. You can talk to somebody when they're feeling low or they feel like they're the outlier in the waiting room. You can really grow and evolve and find other people because if it wasn't for Julia, my pink pal way back when, and that connection, I don't know if I would have had the courage to know that like, okay, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to, I feel like I met the right people. So you just have to be willing to just kind of open yourself up to your experience and say like, okay, some days today, I'm going to today go after it. I'm going to get what I need and talk to who I need to talk to and have the courage to do whatever it is that I need to do. That is so beautiful, and I think that's really selfless of you, and it's such an inspiration, and you, you are the epitome of, of perseverance. I mean, girl, you do not know how to quit, and I admire that mm. a million, a million percent, and I love that you have such a great balance of sharing helpful information, but also sometimes just the storytelling itself, I think is what speaks to people. You know, it's hard to kind of absorb all this information we're talking about doctor's offices, right? Like lectures and facts and numbers, that stuff is is good to know, but it can sometimes be in one ear out the other, right? It's hard to fully absorb hearing somebody go through all of this, that how you feel when you listen to it, that's the stuff that really sticks. And I think that's a lot of the times what can call people to action. So please, I, I know that you're you're doing a lot of speaking engagements. You're now a motivational speaker. I mean, you're, you're doing podcasts. You've been on television. You are staying true to that storytelling and you are continuing on with that. But So you don't need me to tell you so, but please, I encourage you to just never quit and to keep that going. I just want to say thank you so much for being no, here. thank you. It's an thank honor. You so much for taking the time to tell your story. I did not want to miss one detail of it because it truly is such an inspiration and I cannot wait to see where you go and what you continue to do and I know that you will do that another marathon. I know you will get there with Zoe one day. I know that your daughter is in the absolute best hands and I am am so happy that she has you to lean on as she gets older and it's just, it's just, it just melts my heart and I want to sort of leave with this one last thing something that you had mentioned to me off camera or off recording that we haven't talked about today is just this beautiful quote you said is a lot of times in life things happen to us and we get overwhelmed and we start to feel buried but what I choose to look at it as is I'm being planted instead. And what happens when you plant something, a flower blooms or a plant blooms, right? You harvest a crop, like there is something that grows from that rather than feeling like you're being dug down deep into something that you can't get out of. And it's just such a beautiful way of shifting your perspective and looking at things differently. And it is something that I will remember. And when I get into those woe is me moments and I feel like life is tough um so i wanted to leave the listeners with that as well thank um, you because for sharing that quote i think again. it yeah, was just one. it was like one of the you know every once in a while you hear something and you're like oh i needed to hear that that was one of those things that i needed to hear myself so i wanted the listeners to hear thank it as well. you yeah and i will say that that feeling of when you are being buried no matter what you're going through maybe that someone who's listening to this isn't going through cancer but when you're in the thick of anything and you're stuck stuck in the mud and feeling like life is just really burying you. When when you do take that moment, connect back to yourself and say, in this moment, I'm being buried for a reason and I have an opportunity. It really stinks. Like It doesn't mean that every bad thing in your life has to be a lesson, but there is a lesson in every bad thing mm-hmm. and it's how you choose. And it sounds so cliche, but the reality is, is when you do start to see that, like I didn't realize that that seven-year-old girl who was afraid listening on the phone was being buried or that when I found that lump, like in that moment, yeah, I was being buried. But again, like I was, oh no, I was being planted. It's just the mindset shift. So thank you for resharing that. 
thank you so much for having me here today. You are so magical, and I can't <laughs> wait to see who comes on this podcast next as well. I love listening to you. We're gonna have big shoes to fill, no girl. Way, girl. You are such an incredible. I love talking to you. I could talk to you forever. You, so we sweet. both have the gift to give. Yeah, so the gift thank of you. Gab. But it, this was a really important episode, so it was worth every minute. Thank you for being here. Thank you guys for listening. I hope that this spoke to you. I hope that there's something you can take away from this episode. Please follow Kristen. Please DM her if you have questions. Don't forget to ask for those nudes. Just kidding. <laughs> but she is here. She truly, she's not this person that just throws it out there and doesn't mean it. She, if you need a mentor, if you have questions, she will support you and act like your best friend, like you've known her your whole life. So I encourage you to reach out if you need to. I don't want to say this to you, but it's Christina. Oh my God. Did I just say Kristen? Yeah. <laughs> Christina. Oh my gosh. How do I fix that? Where did I, where do I need to, what did I? Mm. Well, let me just say, please, I encourage no, you guys. Fine. No, oh my God. You know what it is? Because I said it earlier with Kristen Chris- Ciccolini and now I'm looking at you and I'm saying Kristen. It's okay. So, <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. My whole life. It's been Kristen or Krista. No. So, no, it's true. But yes, you can find me at KM Cocoluto. C-O-C-C-O-L-U-T-O on Instagram is really easy the best and the best way but if you're going through if you have found out that you have the BRCA mutation I'm your girl yes I love it thank you so much okay bye